G'day everyone, uh, my name is uh, George Faruja and uh, welcome to a three-part podcast series called Bloodlines brought to you by uh, GRV and RSN where we dive into the world of Greyhound Bloodlines and the stories behind them and without further ado I'm going to intro my co-host, my co-host for the next three weeks, um, the one and only David Brash. How are you David this morning? Good Georgie, how's yourself? I'm very, very uh, well, mate, and uh, just quickly, uh, for those that don't know David, David is uh, widely regarded as as the preeminent greyhound bloodline expert in this country. He runs a very successful website called pedigreesbydesign.com, where he offers advice to breeders with size selection for their females and to potential owners before they purchase a puppy. And just on a personal note, um, when I'm trying to choose a a sire for a female I, I own or consider buying a new puppy... Sometimes it's like I'm walking through a room with without the lights on, stepping on Lego, cursing um, some uh, not-so-savoury words. And this man, on many occasions, has come to my rescue. Oh, that would be fair in saying that, Dave? Oh, I thought I'd saved you most times, hadn't I, <laughs> Absolutely you have, mate. Uh, but, mate, just quickly, before, before we um, uh, click into this... The reasoning behind this podcast is basically one of, of, of popular demand. Um, I, and, and I'm sure you too, David, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, have had hundreds of convos over the last couple of years with people in the industry that, that really want to learn some more about the science behind the pedigrees of the, of the greyhound. And um, through my current role um, at Sandown through the National Draft, we've had a lot of owners that um, have dipped their toe in the water. They've liked being involved in greyhound racing. And I'm sure a lot of syndications in the past too and they want to go and branch out on their own, but they want to do it with with more knowledge than they came into the sport with. And I think um, knowing about pedigrees, listening to people like yourself, I think um, means that they can invest with a little bit more confidence. Have you found that more recently, Dave? I've found the newcomers into the industry are really chasing a knowledge, and they, they embrace all things like that in their life, and uh, yeah, yeah, look, they go they go in search of, of knowledge, and once they've got that, they feel a little bit more confident in uh, in doing what they're doing, and yeah, that's exactly what's happening, and it's 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 quite often the young people that are coming in, the oldies, the the guys that have been in the industry for so long. They've got a knowledge. They they know. They've seen these dogs race. They know what they need to to do. But it's it, because of races like the Million Dollar Chase, the Melbourne Cup, the Australian Cup, the Golden Easter Egg. People are getting more and more involved in greyhound racing. They can see these dogs earning a million dollars, seven hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, and they say, "I've got to have a go at this." And now they are chasing the knowledge to be successful. And that's what they should do. They really should. You make a good point, David. And I think, I mean, you and I would have seen probably, what, 10 years ago, there would have been, what, one dog win a million dollars? I don't think there was even one. And now we've got, what, seven? And I I said on the radio the other day, it probably wouldn't be too long before we see a greyhound win two million dollars. I mean, so this is the the way the sport's going. We've got the million dollar chase, the Phoenix, the Melbourne Cup's now five hundred thousand dollars. There's races where you live, obviously in Queensland. The Queensland Carnival is absolutely outstanding these days. So it's it's wall to wall 
quality racing at the highest level. And I think people are realising that out of the three codes, the entry level to, to buy into a Greyhound, even though it's still not cheap in, in certain areas, it's not yeah, not cheap as chips, but it's cheaper than the other two codes. And some of the prize money pound for pound is as good as anywhere in the world, probably the best in the world in Australia. So you make a really, really good point there. Um as we said, we're going to do a three-part series, um, Dave. Um, the first one is is probably centred around what makes a successful greyhound in your eyes as a as an ed, expert in, in in pedigrees. Next week we'll do one in regards to the influence on on outcrosses um, in this country. And the third one will be my favourite. It will be frequent, uh, frequently asked questions. Now I'll go on to social media in the next couple of weeks and. Uh, and ask for questions from people. I've already got a list, uh, David, that we're going to throw at you, so be prepared. But uh, I think anything that we can do to enhance people's knowledge will be absolutely fantastic. So, mate, without further ado, we'll get into it on on a couple of the points um, that I've marked down. Um, And just remember, people, and I'm sure you can touch on this too, David, there are always exceptions to the rule when it comes to breeding, isn't there? Oh, look, George, I've, I've studied pedigrees. Every single week, I look through pedigrees and uh, stacks of them. It just—it's—it's it's boring as hell. <laughs> when you when you tell people what you do, they look at you. Uh, you know, friends of ours that have nothing to do with racing, and they just—you do what? <laughs> and but yeah, you uh, you you develop a knowledge of what's going on, and you see this. And look, yeah, I can remember back. Um, 45 years ago and more when we first got into greyhound racing i remember my first winner i think she won 45 dollars at the old gold coast showgrounds track <laughs> yeah. by, the, by the time i my, my now race calling brother i think was 12 and uh and he's 55 and we uh we won a we won 45 dollars by the time i shouted my brother my wife and myself a drink and bought the photo we were broke. <laughs> yeah, there's so many stories like that. So it was never about the prize money, was it? It was about the thrill of winning, and you got that bug early, and, and so did I. But you make a point about the boringness of it for certain people. I've seen a glaze over my current partner Cheryl's eyes on our first date when I started mentioning uh, greyhound pedigrees, and I can tell you, David, I quickly stopped short and realised this is not the way to go, George. You probably need to make it a little bit more exciting. So you're, you're right there, mate. But, yeah, as we said, there are exceptions to the rule. So before people um, message, us in regards to saying, well, I I bred a, a gun dog, not based on the on these theories. That's absolutely fine, and these things happen all the time. But we're just talking about your years of experience here and what you've seen in regards to patterns and what has worked. But it, f- the first question I've got for you, mate, and it, it's it, uh, as simplistic as it can get. If you had a blank canvas, what would be the number one thing, pedigree wise, that you'd say is an absolute non-negotiable? be first, second, third, down to 25th, a powerful dam line. Yep. And, and that, that includes the, the bitch herself, uh, her mother, her grandmother, her great-grandmother. There has to be something there that tells you... Look, and I'm talking very classy greyhounds. I'm talking the, the, the group stars, the... And, there will always, as you just said, exceptions to every rule. And I've seen pedigrees and, and even golden Easter egg uh, place getters where I scratch my head and think, how on earth did that become so good? 
Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the business I do. Uh, but I see so many people. The wheelers are the perfect example. They've been breeding with that dam line since the 1960s, back to old Gale's Beauty, and they keep bringing it along, and it just keeps tossing up very good race dogs, very good producers, and it's it's all about the dam line. His Paul's dam line, the Wheeler family dam line, has just continued, continued, continued since the 60s. It's, it's 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 incredible, it's isn't it? As you say, it's it's almost the dominant dam line in the world. And and that, for those people that want to get into it a little bit more, that's the one thing I suggest, um, David. When you're seeing class greyhounds, group winners, could be from all over the world, you start to see some sort of patterns where dam lines continue to throw up these quality greyhounds, don't you? Always, yeah, always, and 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 it's always that's why I. Uh, every time there's a group race on, I go and look at the pedigree of every group finalist and feature race finalist and city winners. I look at the the pedigree of every city winner every single week and you get an idea of patterns, you get an idea of dam lines. Look, there's dam lines almost as good as Paul's, but you see it, bale dogs, diner dogs, uh, all those dogs, you see it all the time, so it, it's in your face all the time, and there's so many of them. But, gee, there's a lot of good dam lines out there as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, you would know, Dave, you, you and I um, were part of this paper. I, my first job in greyhound racing was with National Greyhound Form when I was yep. um, 19 years of age. Uh they put me on ads to begin with, and I was absolutely hopeless. John Pearson tapped me on the shoulder and said, mate, you've got to go. This is a week in, right? I was a pretty shy kid, and I just, you know, thankfully Bill Pearson said, nah, look, you've spoken to me about Graham pedigrees, and you seem to know your stuff a little bit. Do you know how to write a little bit? And I said, yeah, well, you know, that that's one of the things that I, I was sort of initially wanted to be part of. So I, I started working in that regard, as you know, and eventually I got my own um, page called George's Kennel, really original name, by the way. I mean, surely somebody should have said, come on, you could have think something a bit better than that. But you, you would have seen, David, that we, we concentrated on looking at um, city winners at, at the Meadows and Sandown. So I used to take the five quickest Sandown winners and the five quickest Meadows winners, and I used to look at the, their mums. And over a period of two, three, four years, we came to the, the stats that suggested that um, 70%, over 70% of city winners came from mums who also won in town. 20%, around 20% um, came from mums who won races, but not at the highest level on metro tracks. And less than 10% of city winners came from mums who were either unraced or never won a race. So talk about the importance of the mums' performance. Just based on those figures alone, I mean, for me, that just was mind-blowing. Well, George, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. There, it's in your face, and and I, I get. Uh, well, I'll tell you a little story. In 2019, I was asked to uh, uh, attend the nationals and give a speech to uh, one of the um, one of the forums, and I came up with some statistics, and that I'd been uh, party to for 30 years, that have about how to get a city winner, and uh, I related those statistics. My wife came over, we were going to have a holiday after the Nationals and in WA, and she was sitting at a table listening to my speech, and someone sitting next to her, when I related the statistics that I had, 
someone sitting next to her was laughing and saying, "Oh, that's 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 rubbish. That's rubbish." And <laughs> and, and there will always be someone who will want to go against the odds. I'm not that sort of person. I yeah. <laughs> okay, I buy a lotto ticket every week, and I know I'm never going to win. But the statistics on greyhound racing and how you get a winner is exactly as you say. You you breed out of win of city winners, and your chances are look a, a bloke called Alan Kappa who who is is like us and a breeding nerd and has been keeping statistics since 1961 mm-hmm. on greyhound city success, and he sent me a list some time ago that said. If you mate any bitch to any sire, your chances of getting a city winner are one city winner in 27 pups. Mm. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? That's 27 pups you're going to re- breed and rear and train yeah. to get one city winner. Yeah. <laughs> but if he says mating a non-city winner to a top sire, and he's talking Kinlock Ray, Brett Lee, Bombastic Shiraz, Fernando, Barcia mating a non-city winner to a top sire, your chances improve from 1 in 27 to 1 in 27. <laughs> there you go. So using a top sire with a non-city winning bitch, a female, will get you nothing, will improve your odds nothing. But if you made a city winner to any sire, it improves to 1 in 18. There you go. But if you, if you made a city winner to a top sire, it improves to one in seven. Yeah. Now, but the major one is if you made a city winner to who was a bitch who was out of a, a female who's out of a high class female dam line, it improves to one in four. Wow. Which is which says use city winners who are out of a good family, put them to a top sire, and you can expect at least two city winners in every litter. Now. That's a huge improvement from mating any bitch to any sire and getting one in 27. Yeah, absolutely. And you need those odds because, as you know, in grand racing, again, over the three codes, things happen, injuries, sometimes they don't get to fulfil their, their full ability. So so the, 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 the counter-argument there, David, is that, yeah, that's easy to say, but city winners don't fall out of trees, which they don't. The other argument I had when these figures were starting to get released in national grand form mm-hmm. was that people said... Well, those figures are skewed, George, because a lot of people breed, the majority of, of females being bred with are city winners. Now, so I went back and had a look at in for a couple of years. Again, nerd alert, we, we need a little siren going off here. I went back and had a look at all those um, females that were bred with over the period of time, and it wasn't the case at all. It was only a, the amount, the, the females that were bred with in Victoria, it was only, I think, about 20 or 25% with city winners. So... So that didn't stack up. That They absolutely um, punched above their weight in regards to the amount of city winners they threw to the greyhounds that weren't city winners. So th- we debunked that theory as well. So that was an interesting thing. I, I, I actually wanted to see that because I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that might be a point that people are just breeding from the best, but it's not always the case. Oh, 100%. Look, there was a, a, a journalist uh, um, guy in America called Joe Esters, and he's written a, uh, a book. He used to be the editor of the Blood Horse, and he was one of the very first, way back years and years ago, to start doing analysis like that on the thoroughbred industry. And he found 
race performances in mares far outperformed their actual pedigree. Wow. Now, he was he showed that uh, the, the 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 group the the group one, the group two, the group three, the listed winners, the listed class horses, the group class uh, horses generally came from those mares that raced in that class. Now, we find the same. You can look everywhere and you'll see. Because people will say to you, okay, uh, sweet as M, uh, uh, Miata was a failure, uh, those sorts of things. Quite often, there are other reasons why those females uh, became failures or, or uh, are looked at as failures because something like Flying Amy, uh, Tensile Doll, Miata, they will always be expected to produce themselves. Well, they're the ultimate. They can't produce themselves. It's too hard. It's funny. Miata's an interesting one, David, for me, because she still produced the litter to Kinlock Bray that won a quarter of a million dollars in prize money. And, and yeah, absolutely, they weren't in the class of her, but there were some handy dogs in the in the, in her litters, you know? So, yeah, you're right. That The, the expectations are so high, and we'll touch on this um, in, in later podcasts about that. And, uh, yeah. you mentioned that. I was talking to none other than Paul Stewart a day ago. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about something entirely different, and uh, and he started talking about uh, Miata, and I said, "Tell me," I said, "What what did you think?" And and he said, "Look," he said, "She was a," he said, "The difference between her and her little sister, who was a very very good producer, Starlight Dally, said, yep, yes, yeah, Starlight Dally, yes, uh, <laughs> I should have said that. Um, Miata was a terrible mother." He said she didn't want to be a mother. He said she wanted to be a race bitch, whereas her sister was a wonderful mother who looked after her pups incredibly so, and he said she was almost a pet, even though she was a very good race bitch herself. But he said that's the difference. And I said to him, in discussions I've had with people, and including Jan Wheeler, who she and her female staff at the, at the property, they whelp all the bitches and they see them looking after their pups. And Jan has said to me herself, and Paul totally agreed, that the best mothers generally have the best progeny. It, yeah. it was really interesting, and Paul, Paul said, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Well, here we are telling everyone. <laughs> Well, it's, it's so, so straight away we see that there's a, a couple of pieces of the puzzle. We're talking about racetrack performance. We're talking about temperament as well. Before you even have a look at a pedigree on a page, David. That's right. That's exactly right. And how are you to know that Miata's not going to be a good mother uh, as opposed to uh, her little sister? You, you're not really going to know. But Paul said, I said, well, interesting that Sweet It Is became such a good brood bitch. And he said, well... The bitch, sweet as is, uh, sweet as is, they stayed with him in Western Australia. And she said she was a lovely bitch, a really nice nature, perfect, uh, perfect human being. And, uh, and that's why, one of the reasons why her progeny has been very good. And the fact that she was an absolute aeroplane too, you're right. But um, yeah, so she had a couple of the pieces of the puzzle to click, uh, to click off. D- David, what are some of the things 
when matching a female with a sire or when you're looking at a litter of pups that have been born, what, what, what do you look for? Is there some common ancestors from either side, a, a sense of inbreeding a little bit? Why do some nicks work better than others? Is it sex balancing, which for those that, that don't know, for instance, um, you could have Brett Lee um, on the sire side and the dam side through a son and a daughter. Is, is there some things that, that you look at and go, yep, these, these are the things as the base that we start off with? When I get uh, asked to look at a bitch, the first thing I look at is um, is her pedigree. And, and I go through, I look for each of the four sire lines uh, to see what line they're from, the brother fox line, the, the, the ginger, the tangaloa line, the Palo melody line, the, the Malawi's prince line, uh, the, the US line, and I I look at her pedigree and I see how it is, and if it's if it's congested, if there's a lot of lot of um, common ancestors in her, then I say to myself, well, she's about ready. She's starting to get get too congested, and you need an outcross. But you look for lines in the pedigree of the bitch that will match up with an outcross, or if your bitch isn't uh, totally. Uh, congested, then I look for common ancestors that you know have been duplicated in pedigrees, uh, you know have linked up with other lines. For instance, one of the best crosses emerging at the moment is Fernando Bale over Barsi Bale Bitches. Mm-hmm. Well, Barsi is not particularly a wheeler dog in that his direct dam line doesn't run to Gale's Beauty. But he does have a cross of Lansley Bale in his pedigree who does run to, to Gail's Beauty. Now, Fernando's damn line runs to Gail's Beauty. So when you put a daughter of Barcia uh, Bale to Fernando Bale, you are still linking up the Gail's Beauty damn line, but you're also putting what is generally a, a, a robust, a good-sized bitch by Barcia to Fernando, who's who's a 29-kilo dog, can throw smaller bitches, and you know you're going to get a, a common link in the pedigree, but you're also going to put in a bit of size into the offspring that sometimes Fernando doesn't do. And people are crazy. They, 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 all they see is, I've got to use Fernando because he's a great sire, so I'll put my 24-kilo bitch to him, and when they get whippets, they, they can't understand why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, so essentially, it's um, some some trial and error and stuff that you've learned over decades that you, you know when to maybe look for an outcross where it's a little bit too congested, and then you might sort of come back to a common ancestor. But you bring, you bring up a good point with Gail's Beauty because she was their fa- foundation dam line and produced so much of uh, so many great stars we've seen in this country in, in years gone past. Um, off, you're often heard, David, and, and I um, encourage people who want to learn a little bit more about um, pedigrees and the way um, you think to, to go onto your website. There's some fantastic articles on there um, that explains a lot of why um, dogs are, are fast. But you're, you're often heard uh, speaking about the importance of the dam sire. So for those that don't know, that's the sire of the female that you may want to uh, breed with or buy a pup out of. Why is the dam sire so important? Well, it's, it's a case of 
<clears throat> it's all to do with the mitochondrial DNA and passing it on. Now, for instance, sake, Brett Lee is, is by gun law rusty out of sobbing cell who's by new tears. Well, Brett Lee really needed new tears to be a successful sire, and he was. He was a super sire new tears. So for Brett Lee to be a success at stud, he needed new tears, the sire of his mother, the damn sire, as we call him, to be a success. Okay. Because when you're mating up, he, new tears is in a position to be able to very strongly impact with whatever bitches Brett Lee mates. Okay. Now, there's, uh, in, in Brett Lee, for instance, uh, Sobbing Sal is, is and, and her mother, Wee Sal, they link up great with dogs like Malawi's Prince and, and all those because they've got common lines in them. And it's it's because of the positioning of, say, New Tears in, in Brett Lee or Malawi's Prince in Bombastic Shiraz and those sorts of dogs. Uh, Fortress in Kinloch Bray, he's the damn sire of, of Kinloch Bray. Uh, those sorts of dogs, they're in a position that can impact. Now... When I do matings for dogs like Zambora Brocky, whose dam sire is an American dog called Flying Stanley. Now, he is the sire of Glen Gallon, but not much else. He was actually a, a real failure in America, and they kicked him out, and he went to Ireland, and he faded off into oblivion. So when I mate bitches to Zambora Brocky, I have to negate buying Stanley. Now, you do that by reinforcing Zambora Brocky's actual dam line, which is, is has a cross of Trendy Lee, or his sire line, which is Nitro Burst, uh, but Bombastic Shiraz as well. Now, Nitro Burst has, a, has a, the same dam line as the Brett Lee line, so he's inbred to that family. So what, what what I try to do is bring in more bombastic Shiraz, more Brett Lee, uh, that sort of influence, which overpowers the influence of Flying Stanley. Now that's an interesting point. I'll, I'll just um, butt in there, David, because Flying Stanley, for those that look at his pedigree, is a pretty well-bred dog, right? So um, you're saying that sort of duplicating that successful dam line won't work purely on the basis that Flying Stanley wasn't a success at stud, despite the fact that he was a terrific race dog? I'll, um, when, I, when, when I started in this business, uh, as a business uh, a dozen years ago, mm -hmm. I got to meet a, one of the world's foremost thoroughbred pedigree designers, and he is an absolute genius, and and when I sat down with him for a weekend, the things he showed me were staggering. I'll just give you one instance. He looked at the pedigree of just the best. And, and for instance, he had never seen a greyhound pedigree in his life until I showed it to him that day. Mm -hmm. And he looked at the pedigree of just the best and he said, I'll bet you that dog has fertility problems. And I looked at him and nearly fell out of the chair because... Uh, a great mate of mine, Tony Appap, he stood just the best at stud, and I knew that dog had fertility problems all his career. Wow. Now, I said to him, how did you know that? 
and he said, it's his pedigree pattern. And I... And I wow. <laughs> and, and then when I showed him token prints, and he said, look at how he's bred it's there and there, and he said to me, what what will token prints need to become a successful stud? And I said, well, you tell me. And he said, this dog here, his damn sire, and, and that dog there, and I said, or sisters to him, or brothers to him. And when I went home and checked Token Prince's top 50 pet, uh, progeny, 49 of them were bred exactly the same with the way he said it that should happen. Now, in the future, he sent me, we kept in touch for a few, good few years and still do, and he said to me, never, never duplicate or reinforce a dog in a pedigree that it has been a failure at start, no matter how good they were at race uh, on, on a racetrack or how good their pedigree is. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, D- Dave, we, we breed a lot of speed in Australia. Um, and it, like we, we're obsessed with times. Greyhound is running as, as quick as they can. Um, do you think that's the reason why many breeders tend to, to keep away from a dog that, say, had a preferred distance of, say, 600 and 700 metres? I think so. Uh, look, stayers will... Stayers, dogs like Chief Havoc. Chief Havoc was a great stayer. Uh, he, he was a uh, phenomenal dog. I think they just used him because he was so dominant and he could sprint. Dogs like Bold Trees, for instance, he won four Sandown Cups and we all saw how he could uh, drop out and just sweep around a field and win. Uh, Norman McCulloch, who, who uh, trained him, uh, was a fr- has been a friend for years and he said to me, he could take that dog to Warrnambool and he'd run the 400 record any time he lost. Mm. Now, but the dog didn't show pace. He didn't. He didn't get out and and go, and the likes of the Brett Lees uh, and the Irish are huge on that. They they will rather breed with a dog that leads to the back turn out of the stra- out of the back straight mm. than, than the dog that will storm home and win. Uh, Bombastic Shiraz was a unique situation where he would storm home and win. But most successful sires have been leaders. Uh, able to hang on for the 520 and and win uh, track record breakers of course I suppose you're saying to yourself do I want to put strength in I think you put strength in not by using staying size you use you do a, 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 a different means it's funny because we, we spoke about prize money earlier and and races over 600 and 700 meters predominantly in the city some of the prize money levels are astronomical. So the, the the one way you don't get to have a city-class greyhound is a greyhound that can't run 500 metres. So I, I sometimes do find it amazing that some of those greyhounds that were so strong, or at least 600 metres strong, probably get shunned off a little bit compared to those greyhounds that you talk about that are just so speedy. Um, Fernando Bale obviously holding split records at both the Meadows and Sandown. I mean, you, you couldn't get a faster animal. But on the flip side, 
David, females who had really good stamina are unbelievably sought after. As, as from the time I first got into the industry, always, um, you know, some of those old breeders used to say to me, if you can get a female that can run 600, 700 metres, she's often worth her weight in gold as a as a broody. It's funny, isn't it? Like, depending on the sex of, of the dog, um, you either get frowned upon or loved. Well, see, with a, with a, with a strong bitch uh, and and those bitches that run to the line over 500, the bitches who run to the line over 600 and the stayers, you can breed the speed into them. Mm, okay. And, and I believe uh, inbreeding or line breeding can do that and, uh, and it's a, it's an aspect that uh, that's where pedigrees can help you, whereas um, you, you don't use a three, pardon me, a three hundred meter speed dog. You use the five hundred meter speed dog, but he's still your city dog. He's still your Fernando. He's still your Brett Lee. That just get out and go whoosh, and and that's the speed you're looking to put into your bitch. Yeah, you and know? and they're able to maintain it over five hundred meters, right? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> David, how much of your ideology, I mean, you've touched on it already, is based on the ideologies of, of some of the great thoroughbred breeders from, from now or even from centuries ago? I mean, do you, do you see, for instance, a horse like Winx and, and some of her, our current champions and, and look at her pedigree and, and try to understand why she might be a champion as well? Do we go outside our own industry? Oh, for sure, because pedigrees, uh, I, I hear a lot of people saying, Oh no, horse pedigrees have nothing to do with greyhound pedigrees. Rubbish. <laughs> I, I look at I look at pedigrees when I see a champion like Winks or or Sunline or Black Caviar or those sorts of horses. I have to have a look at them because pedigree is what I do and and what fascinates me. Um, you know, I read I read a book just the other day and the guy a thoroughbred book and the guy said. The worst thing you can have in life is to be caught in a uh, a lift with someone talking bloodline. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. I thought of that when you and I were both. Oh, I to do this, but look, I, I do. I look at Winks. I look at all those. An interesting thing about Winks, um, her mother was a group uh, group class filly and uh, and raced uh, till she was six. And, and uh, a nice, nice mare. She had uh, she had lots of up, upsides about her. Uh, but if you take Winks out of her her progeny, she's a failure. It's amazing. She she missed two in Costa del Lago. She had a filly by in Costa del Lago that was unraced. Then she had Winks. Then she had a fast net rock colt who was sold to, to Hong Kong. For two hundred thousand unraced, she had another one by Schnitzel who won two races. Wow. She had another one by Schnitzel who was sold for two point three million and was unraced. She missed the Schnitzel. She had another one to Schnitzel who was unraced. She had another one by Exceed and Excel who was unraced. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, we all think that uh, we. Oh, wouldn't you love to have a, a wink? And what? A, and the, and her mother was broodmare of the year. And and you say to yourself, well, take winks out, and, and they're throwing rocks at her. Wow! <laughs> uh, even even though she um she had all the hallmarks to be a successful um yes. broodmare, yes. interesting. Yes. Yes. Um, look, the, things that, look, the, the, the pedigree guy that I spoke to the, the day we were there, we were talking about 
Maccabi Diva. And I said to him, what do you, what would you put to Maccabi Diva to to make her a success? And he said, the stallion is not in Australia for her. She has to go to America to, to be uh, successfully mated. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, yes. He said, look, she, uh, her pedigree has so much that needs American speed in it. And he said, in, in, Ten years' time, Maccabi Diva will be the leading broodmare sire of four-mile steeplechases. And they all her foals went to, went to the sales, and they were bringing $1.5 million, and she's been a total disaster. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it was all to do with her saturated northern dancer, Natalma Pedigree, that needed to go to America. That was his opinion, and he picked it before she'd had a foal. Wow. And he said the same about Winks. He said, look, Winks needs to mate sheer speed horse like uh, I'm Invincible. And that's the first one they put her to, and she missed, unfortunately. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see that space and and what Winks does um, as a a producer. This is a really interesting one, David. Now, I I read an article um, that was um, shown to me by... uh, a mutual friend of ours in America, but also I've heard it spoken about on this radio station and RSN about DNA testing that goes on with horses that yep. can tell owners if their female has a gene to throw sprinters, middle distance or stayers, or even DNA of the racehorse itself to see its peak distance. Now, that that to me is just mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's a game-changer because you, you think about the advantages to trainers, but not only that, um, what was brought up in, in the interview on RSN was um, sometimes there was two sprinters bred together and they actually threw a, a dog a horse that was better over you know, a mile and a half. It's it's incredible to think about that. I know we're a long way away of that in regards to for, for greyhounds, but it might be technology that might come available. What are your thoughts on all of that? It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I've read I've read the article and it's it's. It's a service that a company is uh, providing in um, in England, and it's very interesting. And, and I thought to myself, well, there must be something here that we could do that with greyhounds. The unfortunate thing is, with and, and it, it happens with this industry where no one's going to throw the sort of money at at the greyhound industry, even though we've got million dollar winners, mm-hmm. million dollar races. No one's going to say, "All right, here's four hundred thousand. Uh, let's study this and and uh, and find it." Now, if I came to you and said, uh, or Joe Bloggs, who's got a fifth grader that's won a Warhope uh, four times and he wants to breed with her, all right, give me five thousand dollars and we'll find the sire that will uh, <laughs> uh, through the DNA and the testing and and you you need more stamina. We'll do that. They'd have a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to happen, David. Yeah. It's not going to happen, is it? No. I know I know what you're saying, but see, the, the thoroughbred industry where they can charge 200000 for a service and sell a colt for $3 million, uh, is an entirely different uh, prospect than, uh, than Greyhound Racing, who we can buy the very best pup in the land for 20000 yeah, absolutely. It's just it just sort of piqued my interest because it's such it's a fascinating, wasn't it? It was a really fascinating uh, study, and I know that company in England is doing it. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you can imagine some of the the big um, 
horse racing um, sort of identities or, or groups like Godolphin would be all over it because it's it's just a it's just such a huge advantage um, going forward. But um, uh, the other thing, uh, David, is that we, we often get people, myself included, look at a pedigree after a dog runs really fast. You've ad- admitted um, your nerd scale is right off the Richter here, and, and so is mine. I, sometimes Cheryl's got me watching some TV show that I pretend not to like, like The Bachelor, and um, I'll have my TV open on Greyhound, uh, my laptop open on Grand Data, and she'll say to me, oh, you're looking at pedigrees again. Yes, um, we do, yeah. but... And and you you start getting those patterns and seeing um, greyhounds and, and greyhound families that are producing. But do you think that it's just as important uh, to have a look at um, pedigrees of a greyhounds that um, say come from a litter that have been a disappointment? Is Cheryl related to my wife? I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that, that we cannot get them in the same room. They're all related, aren't they, George? <laughs> they just, they just live in different houses, as the old saying goes. <laughs> Mate, yeah, I, I I do that. I'm I'm like that. I see, and I have a lot of people who ring me, mates all over the place, and oh, did you see that thing when that maiden the other day? You know, and, oh yeah. So I yep, I do, and then I look at their pedigree. I suppose it's a case of uh, we. Why do we look at failures? Uh, but you, you're right. We should. Um, but I think quite often. Nurture, nature can play a big part. Um, yeah. They, you know, you sell off, uh, you, like I'll do a, a pedigree design, and once they put those that bitch into pup, the, the, the whole thing relies on who welts them, who worms them, who gallops them, who breaks them in, who trains them, and that's a very, very, very important aspect of, of whatever happens to a pedigree design. Now, you don't know, I don't know, uh, do three of them get hurt in the paddock? Uh, does one of them not chase? And then you look at, you, you, you're, you're left with one or two in that litter and they might win a few races and you say to yourself, well, that was a, that was a failure, but uh, and that, that pedigree's to blame, well... Is it to blame? Uh, I don't know. But someone like myself says, oh, gee, that's a good pedigree. Uh, <laughs> I did that one. Uh, get a gizmo one that got one the top gun. You know, that sort of stuff. And Absolutely. You say, really yeah. well-bred dog too. But th- you make a good point, David, because I think uh, I-, I had a, a guy call me yesterday. He was a friend of a friend and said uh, he's looking at a couple of dogs at the, at the upcoming Ipswich auction. And he was looking at one that was around nine or ten months old, and he said, "What do you think of the pedigree?" I mean, I mean, uh, you know, compared to your knowledge, I said, "Oh, look, the mum could run, and you know, the size pretty good." But um, I said, before you even look at that, um, the pup's ten months old. Find out where it got rid. I mean, so uh, because you're right, it, it, it's not. I don't think this part of it is based on, oh, I got the best pup in the litter. And uh, you know, back to old Bill Pearson used to say to me, when they're three months old, it is dog lotto. You, you you don't know which one is going to be the best. You can't pick one that, that's going to be the best. But you can do things to make sure you give it every possible chance. And the rearing is, uh, for, for people that are new in the game and looking to invest further, if you can get yourself positioned with a, a proper rearer, you, you will be so many times more successful. There's rearing and there's rearing, Georges. And we, and we know from, uh, from what we see and from what we hear, like, in 2015, my wife and I got to, to visit Wheeler's property at uh, outside Young, 
and he the rearing setup there is fascinating, amazing, no corners cut, everything's done for those dogs to become a race dog. And I'll just give you a quick brief thing. They're whelped at six weeks of age. They're out of the whelping box and have access to a two-acre run from six weeks of age. Now, when they're three months of age, they go into 40-metre by 100-metre long uh, holding paddocks, and there's six of them in it. Every day, those three-month-old pups are allowed out into a five-acre paddock to gallop. And each each dog in, in on the property, each pup being reared, is allowed out into this five-acre paddock. But as they get older, they move on to a 10-acre paddock, galloping paddock, and then they move on to a 20-acre galloping paddock. Now, Paul's got the... The Wheeler family has the the space and and uh, the, the ability to, to do that, but you're not going to tell me a, a, a greyhound pup reared in a, a unit in the middle of Brisbane is going to be able to beat a Paul Wheeler, bred, reared, educated, trained uh, dog that uh, that's had every opportunity, the big galloping, all that sort of stuff. They need it. They have to have it. And and you may as well just not, as you said to your friend, find out where it's been read first. Yep. Yeah, it's it's imperative. No matter no pedigree can out out uh, outperform a uh, a dog that hasn't uh, hasn't been read properly. And for those that are buying pups and are looking to get into it further, um, I'd recommend if you get the opportunity to go and see. Um, where your dog's getting reared and, and those just the little things about them being able to twist and turn and bump into another dog to learn how to be a race dog that, that exactly what you said I mean it's 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 unbelievable but uh, there's so many different parts to it but that is clearly one of the most important there's a, there's an old saying and we, this this sort of ties into what we've been talking about but there's an old saying from a famous Irish breeder that that says in one litter you could get a dog that's very slow in, in then you can get another dog in the litter that's more interested in what other dogs are doing in the race and one that it's that's a brilliant uh, Irish derby winner I mean if they're all reared in the same paddock, explain your thoughts on that. I mean, do, do great dogs, obviously great dogs throw bad traits too? Oh, for sure. Look at look at Fernando Barr. Fernando will throw small bitches. Mm. And, and and that's why the, the astute breeders quickly worked out that you put leggy bitches that have got a bit of size about them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anything under, well, you know, you take, you, you use a 27 kilo bitch, uh, with a bit of caution going to to uh, Fernando, but uh, in, in consequence, you you don't really put a 32 kilo bitch to Bastia Bale, or else you'll get uh, giants. And, mm. and that, that's right, and that's what happens. You're, you're right, but look, it's 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 all to do with chance, obviously, and the genetic makeup of these actual individuals. Even though you, it's it's like your family. Uh, I've got two kids. Uh, one can play golf, the other one, she can't. Um, mm. She's a, uh, a doctor of neuropsychology. He works with computers. They're, they're totally different kids. Yeah. Same same pedigree pattern. Um, my, my son, uh, he was the slowest runner of, of all time. That's why he took up golf. <laughs> Our daughter was, runs marathon. So, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... And, and that's what has to happen. People don't 
understand that genetic makeup doesn't necessarily be the same for all for, for all members of the litter. So, the, yeah. Fernando Bale is such an interesting case study for me, David, because there's not a group race that goes past where he's not um, dominating. And I, I did a little sort of survey for, for greyhounds per litter and how many of, of their dogs through dogs that won over 100,000. And I've never, ever seen figures like what Fernando has produced. It's it's incredible. but And and he was the fastest dog you'd ever see, as we said, sectional records, just an incredible dog. If you looked at his – when you've seen his pedigree, just pedigree alone, it probably didn't come from the greatest strain of, of Wheeler's damn line. His mum had produced dogs that were okay without being outstanding in previous litters. He went to a sire – who um, was pretty much shunned in America as well, really, and, and didn't have a great deal of success. Yeah, so say compared to Abasha um, at stud, in terms of his pedigree compared to Fernando Bale, um, they, they're almost chalk and cheese, yet Fernando Bale's um, figures are... I, I haven't seen anything like it from from this stage, and he's only going to continue to get dominant. It's, it's a really interesting pedigree, and um, uh, if you look at uh, Fernando... Uh, Sorry, Chloe Allen, his mother, she's a half-sister to Jarvis Bale, who was by a tonic flight. And a, and a great stayer, right? Yeah. And a great stayer. Mm-hmm. Now, he he went back to the Wheeler line and produced Alan Deed, who ran the track record at... Uh, at um, the Meadows, still holds and, it, yeah. And is a group one winner, and, and now is quite a successful sire after being shunned by the entire industry except... Paul Wheeler himself and a few others. Now, the whole thing there is for mine, Jarvis Bale's half-sister went to an outcross dog, but he also, that outcross dog also had an Irish influence, a similar, uh, a few similar lines in, in Sonic Flight to the dam line of, uh, of Kelso's Fusilier. And that produced it. But what I believe is the success of Fernando Bale is, it was just one of those genetic freaks. But the mother was a good race bitch and, and once again, from the very strong wheel of damn line, uh, carrying uh, things like Primo Uno, uh, carrying Head Honcho, carrying Awesome Assassin, all in her line. When he went to stud, I waited. I, I had to see what he would do with his first progeny before I could really start recommending him. I had no such doubts about Barcia Bale, mm-hmm. but I, I was worried about the, the failure sideline of Kelso's Fusilier. And as soon as his first stock started running, it was exactly how I thought. You have to inbreed to Chloe Allen. Now, so many of, of Fernando's best progeny are inbred to his mother, to aspects of his mother's family. Mm. And that that's the, 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 the Gail's Beauty line, that's how Tornado Tears is bred, uh, all those sorts of things. And uh, when I when we designed the pedigree for Seneca, um, I doubled the Primo Uno, but also brought in Chloe Allen's mother uh, and, and a, a bitch in... in Seneca's dam line that were bred virtually identically and it produced Seneca in a great litter. 
fantastic litter. It's I just I mean we mentioned Barcia and, and and dogs of, of of yesteryear like Brett Lee were, were great sires, but I don't think I've seen a sire throw such versatility as well, David. I mean he at any one time will have not only the best sprinters but the best stayers. He almost allows whatever the female's good traits were to come out as as a sire. Um, you know, like, he's he's been incredible. Uh, obviously, Tornado Tears is one who was out of a, a female called uh, Tears I Am, who was a good stayer herself. She was very fast, probably was a little bit hit or miss on the racetrack, but my goodness, that, I mean, and I think Tears I Am's gone to Fernando Bar, what, five times and continually thrown top-quality animals. It's incredible. Also, his uh, tornado's mother, Tornado's mother, was also a sister to a champion. Yeah, space star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they were by Beckham Bale, who is the is the famous Gales Beauty Dam line. Yeah. So, yeah, there was lots in that pedigree that uh, that allowed her to, and she was a bit hit and miss. Some of the Tornado Tears litter mates and and bull relations, they're hit and miss as well. Yeah. But but mate. <laughs> Give me your tornado. Oh, my God. Like At his, at his peak, and I, I still love this quote from Rob Britton. He said, at his peak, and Rob Britton is a kind of modest guy, isn't he? I mean, he's he's a guy that's a, he's always pretty reserved. He's never one to be running down the, 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 the straight track, but God bless Peter Lagosioni for doing that in the Million Dollar Chase. I think that was great footage. But Rob said that at his prime, he wasn't scared of anyone that Tornado Tears was against. I mean, that is um, as big a quote as you can mention. I mean, for a dog who was so dominant, it was it was incredible. And he still rates Space Star as possibly the best star he's ever had. Yeah. Yeah, he's told me a number of times he was the fastest, fastest stayer he's ever had. Yeah, yeah. Um, j- just... Uh, unbelievable. And uh, obviously Hall of Famer, future one for sure. Uh, just quickly, David, explain why some sires only seemingly have moderate success with their own progeny on the track, but then when their daughters, uh, their daughters turn out to be fantastic producers. What, what's the main reasoning behind that? Some some stud dogs are never going to make it. Um, I, I, when when I look at stud dogs that are going to stud, uh, young race dogs off the track, um, it, it, there's a hype so often about every every stud dog that retires. Yeah, and 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 that's 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 what happens. But always I look to see whether they've broken a track record, okay. because track record breakers generally succeed at stud. Sometimes, no matter how many bitches you'll get, no matter how good a race dog you were, if you didn't have that extra speed that takes you into the next generation, then you, you are generally going to fail. Um, not always, but quite often you are. Like you, you look at Brett Lee and, you, and as we just said, Fernando, and Barcia Bale run a track record when the mate his first start and bombastic and uh, chariot supreme and brother fox and bombastic uh, was a different one wasn't he did he break a track record bombastic i thought he did he yeah. might have i'm pretty certain he did somewhere um mm-hmm. but collision did and, yeah and those sorts of dogs now um what happens when a when a really good race dog goes to stud he will get a lot of good bitches now if he's a high-class race dog and he's a $3,000 service fee or back then a 1000 which knocks out a lot of people, 
the really good quality bitches go to him. Mm-hmm. Now, he, it, uh, Bobniak is probably the f- the finest example of that. He was a he was a good stud dog, and he did get some nice race dogs, but he was no superstar. But he did get a lot of very good bitches, and he's done well as a brood bitch sire, uh, basically because his damn. Paris matches from the Austy Lee family, and it just kept producing. It really did. And I think when when a race dog is not necessarily a great sire, and he's got good brood bitches, it's is, is it your very first question. If you've got a blank canvas, what's the number one pedigree, pedigree wise you look at? It's the damn line. And generally, those strong damn lines just keep producing no matter what their their progeny are by. Did it did it help Bob Niak that he was out of a um an import sire? In in, in regards to your theory on him being a, a really good um broodbit sire? I think it was more Paris match. Okay. Yep. And and if you look at if you look at the success of a dog like Aussie Infrared. Now, uh, Aussie Infrared and I'm I'm judging Hardstyle Rico exactly the same way. Fernando bars by an American dog, but his, his mother has been the dominant force in his progeny. And mating bitches with similar lines to Chloe Allen, the mother of Fernando, has been the success formula. There are other ways, as we said, there are exceptions to every rule. Now, Aussie Infrared has been a very, very good success at stud. And his mother, Ebby Miss, is bred on the Brother Fox Paris Match Cross. That mm-hmm. is, that is uh, Paris, is all those, what is it, um, uh, where's Pedro hallucinate all those? Now, the success of Aussie Infrared has come by reinforcing the lines that are in Ebby Miss, his mother. So he catch, catch the thief, right? Yeah, Catch the Thief and mm-hmm. Playlist, both Group 1 dogs. Mm-hmm. Ebby Infrared is bred the same way, and La La Kiwi is bred the same way. Mm-hmm. All group stars, and probably his best progeny so far. Now, that's what I mean by reinforcing the, the dam line. I use, uh, I recommend Aussie Infrared. Generally, when he's got that, uh, when the bitch has got that uh, double of, of uh, Hallucinate and Where's Pedro, or or the Paris match line, you push that back in. And I think the same way will happen with Ballerin for his other son, Hardstyle Rico. Now, he's out of a stagger bitch, and there's there's lots of lines. He's got uh, Path to Power in there, which is Fabregas's damn line. Uh, I think, and staggers from the same female family as Brett Lee, I think you'll be able to... He will be a success if you make bitches that have got virtually the same blood as his mother, Bella Rico. And uh, it's it's funny when you look back, you, you probably don't um, acknowledge them as much when they're racing, but if you look back at some of Hardstyle Rico, you speak about record holders. Yeah. He didn't only break records, he broke sectional records too, didn't he? He was just such an extremely, extremely fast greyhound. He was uh, incredible. But um, So, mate, in, in other words, um, and it probably goes back to the theory of, of your... Um, of your mate saying that sometimes um, he might allow some maybe misfortunes in the pedigree, but if the if the female is an absolute star or the sire is a track record holder, they generally throw that sort of ability as well. So you can you're, it, on, it, your, you're on your way. Yeah, look, 
I, I say to people, I, I get a lot of people ringing up and saying, I want to get into greyhounds, what do I do? And the first thing I say to them is, when I'm looking to buy greyhounds, pups or whatever, the first thing I look at is the mother to see whether she was a city winner, a group finalist, and they don't have to be group winners. Just as you put them into a group final, you're you're the upper echelon of, of race dogs in the country. Mm. Then I look at her mother to see whether she was a good race bitch and a good producer. You don't really want that initial bitch as being the only one. You want others that could run a bit. And then I start looking down at uh, Shared Equity, Weston Bluebird, Winsome Bluebird, Winsome Duchess, Winsome Blue, and you, it, it's, it's an unbroken line. And uh, and then I say to myself, what's the pedigree like to the sire that she's been mated to? And it's 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 bitch first, mother next, direct dear mine third, and then I look at the pedigree match. And uh, and it's it, it's if you do that, if you keep doing that, as we've said earlier, seventy percent of city winners come from mums who won in town, and. Uh, and twenty uh, percent of the rest were were winning bitches. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. mate. Um, it's it's been fantastic. This is uh, as we said, we, we're going to do a three part series. I think we've covered a fair little bit and and giving some people some insight, especially those that are are looking to to further their knowledge in the industry. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure again, David. We'll catch up. I think we'll release these podcasts um, on a weekly basis. We'll catch up next week because I'm going to fire some real um, curly questions um, at you next week about outcrossing and what that means. Um, so really looking forward to that. Really appreciate your time, David, and uh, we'll chat next week, mate. Yes, for sure, George. Looking forward to it. Beautiful, mate. Whatever we can help, uh, then uh, that's all what we need to do. Oh, mate, getting good, getting good people in this industry and giving them as much knowledge as we can is what it's all about, mate. So thanks a lot. No worries, pal. Thanks, mate.